HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by TechServe. For more information, visit TechServe.com. You're listening to Let's Eat In on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Arroway, and we're here at Roberta's. It's a very drizzly, um, you know, kind of a spring rain-like Monday here in Brooklyn. Um, perhaps um, that's a good thing, though, for anyone who's starting a little gardening operation, maybe some urban homestead you're working on. Um, I'm holding a beautiful book that's about uh, farming. It's called The Farm, Rustic Recipes for a Year of Incredible Food. And it was written by a veteran food writer named Ian Knauer. He's here in the station. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Thank, I'm good. Thanks. Um, so this is your first book, correct? Uh, yeah, it's the first. It's the first. It's all mine. Um, mm-hmm. I've worked on uh, other books. I worked for Gourmet for a number of years, and so I worked on all their books and sort of got my chops that way. Um, but right. yeah, this is this is the baby. Right, and you were the food editor for Gourmet for a number of years. I was. I was, I was one of the food editors in the test kitchen there. Uh, I worked for Gourmet, Gourmet for about nine years total, um, which is a long time to work for anyone these days. Yeah. Um, and it was probably, probably the best job I'll ever have. <laughs> uh, it was amazing. Uh, I had a really great learning experience there. Yeah, and, and you did some amazing recipes, which I'm sure contributed to... Um, your expertise here that that is beautifully showcased in this this cookbook. The pictures are really amazing, I gotta say. Um, I know this is like kind of old news, but what what was it like when Gourmet had to fold for you? <laughs> it, was, it was like Grandma died. <laughs> it was really we walked in we walked in on a Monday, uh, which is weird because McKinsey Corporation, who were the they were the the brains behind that that decision um they usually fire you on a friday so that you don't like tear your office to shreds and gouge your your boss's eyeballs out um but we went in on a monday and it was just business as usual and and we got this email from ruth uh reichel who was the editor-in-chief um early uh on the early side it was like 7 45 and there were only six of us in the office and she's like where is everyone why aren't you (laughs) we have we need to have a meeting and we're like it's 7 45 on a monday and so like the six of us stagger into the conference room and she's like you're all fired we're all fired they're closing the magazine and it was just silence like we just stared at each other like um like like you couldn't comprehend it you know um it really seemed out of the blue it must have been surreal 
It was crazy, yeah. And and that night or the next night, we all, uh, the whole magazine gathered at Ruth's apartment. And we had a wake. <laughs> we did. We just got drunk and we, you know, we we uh, we ate and drank and cried and <laughs> and just tried to figure out what to do with our lives. Yeah, it must have been really surreal, especially after nine years. Yeah, and I was. I mean, I was there for nine years. The magazine had. It was the oldest cooking magazine in the country. It had been open, you know, running up and running since the forties. Um, so it was really a shock. Hmm. And it looks like you've been keeping busy though in the uh, in the aftermath. Um, did you spend some time? Was that? Um, did it give you, get, bring you back to nature? Maybe a bit. Afterwards? Well, yeah. I mean, when you when you lose your job, and you know, so many people have lost their job in the last three years, four years. Right. Um, you sort of you have an opportunity to take a step back and take a deep breath and think about the direction that you want to go in career-wise. Um, when you have a job, you, you're often sort of stuck in the day-to-day and you're just you know, working on the next presentation or the next little project and it's harder to see the overall arc of what you want your career to be because you just get lost in the shuffle. There's mm-hmm. so many emails to answer. Um, and so when you're forced into that sort of clarity, um, it's a great opportunity to step back and make a decision. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. I took a little time and I, I moved to the family farm, which is in Pennsylvania. And this sounds very trite. Like it's like, like you, you would read about it in some uh, fictionalized version of what you should do when you quit your job. Um, but I'm very lucky to have this opportunity to have this family farm. And it's, it's been right. in the family for literally hundreds of years. In a town called... Knowerville. Called Knower Town, yeah. Knower Town. So named after the family when they originally moved here in the 1600s. Wow. Um, it's about 40 acres. No one lives there full time, but you know it's a big family and we all share the place. And, and so this was my opportunity to spend a lot of time there. Um, and I started a vegetable garden with my sisters and I was really trying to think about what to do next, what my next move would be. And you have tons of cooking experience, but what was it like getting into uh, farming as well as cooking or... Um, maybe it's because I've spent so much time behind a stove. Um, cooking comes very naturally to me. Mm. I love to do it. I cook, I cook dinner and lunch and breakfast most days at home. Um, but, but farming is the opposite. Uh, Farming Mm -hmm. gives you nothing. Um, (laughs) I mean, there's no, what I mean by that is there's no helping hand, you know, like, like in, okay. So in a kitchen you're in control and that's sort of the point of cooking. You know, you manipulate the ingredients to the outcome that you want. Um, and you are in charge of how hot your stove is or how much water you use or, or any number of a thousand, uh, different factors in the garden. You are not in control. (laughs) Nature is in control. And if it's going to rain, it's going to rain. If it's not going to rain, it's not going to rain. And depending on how much of either extreme that is, it's a big problem. Uh Um, or the sun is too hot or there's not enough sun or the the rabbits get under the fence and eat all the arugula. And it's just Uh like, there's just so many possibilities of where things are going to go wrong. And they, for me, they do. (laughs) So was it a rocky uh, year on the farm for you after uh, <laughs> after heading out both, there? Well, you know, in some ways, yes, it was hard work. Um, and I, I was then and I am now still a relatively inexperienced farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I've certainly made my share of terrible mistakes in the garden. And like, I'm sure what, what make was one more. mistake? Um, um, so one of the first things I did was I decided to uh, have a compost pile. So that, you know, I could throw my kitchen scraps in there and, and um, you know, enrich the soil, mm-hmm. essentially. 
um, because someone told me once that you're not you're never a vegetable farmer you're a you're a dirt farmer you're uh-huh. always uh, yeah. growing your dirt so I started that and and I cleared all the weeds out from the garden and I threw the weeds in the compost pile which makes perfect sense to me because they're <laughs> organic material and they'll rot and you'll add more nutrients to the soil right okay which is true but you also adding a whole bunch of weed seeds um, and so if you add your weeds to your compost pile, then you just, in, you know, you don't get rid of the seeds that are naturally there. You just add them back into the soil and they grow more weeds, you know, and the thing that I'm really good at growing, it seems, are weeds. Um, so that's, that's just one example of a thousand things that I've probably done incorrectly. Well, what do you do with your weeds now after you do? Now things? I, now I, I put them in, all in a pile and I throw them in the woods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That sounds like a good... Um, although some of the weeds, I, I try to encourage. Um, you know, there are, there are these plants that really want to grow, like uh, lamb's quarters mm-hmm. and purslane. Purslane, I was about to mention. I've yeah. seen compost piles just crawling with them. I'm like, yeah, hey, that's really yummy stuff. It's really yummy stuff. Yeah. And I, I tend to weed around those weeds mm-hmm. um, and try and encourage them a little bit because, first of all, they're some of the most nutritious greens that you can, that you can eat. Mm. Uh, and they're delicious uh, if you know how to cook them right or if you eat them raw. Um, and, and they, they grow all by themselves. They don't need help. Yeah. Personally, you can find those in, you know, the sidewalk cracks too. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, purslane, somebody, I read somewhere once that purslane is considered India's gift to the world. Apparently, originally it came from the Indian continent. Um, is it a succulent too? It is. Okay. Yeah. It's a succulent. Um, and it's really high in like, uh, uh, Omega threes, believe hmm. it or not. So it's it's incredibly good for you. And you're right; it grows everywhere. Um, here in Brooklyn, you'll find it in the sidewalk cracks, in the parks, everywhere. What do you like to cook with purslane? I really like to to put it in a salad raw. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it has sort of a lemony flavor, and you can go down on the acid in your in your vinaigrette. Because it, it is it does have such a sort of a citrusy flavor. Um, I also like to cook with it, but the key is to not overcook it because yeah. if you do that, it gets a little slimy, like okra. Right. Um, but if you just give it a real quick sauté, it stays crunchy and you get that nice lemony flavor. And you know, lemon goes well with just about everything, as far as I'm concerned. Mm. I can see. I, I'm looking at a picture of I, I think they're chicken breasts, maybe fish, but covered with just a a shower of green herbs. And uh, maybe some stir-fried or sautéed purslane, as you mentioned, would be good for something Absolutely. like that. Absolutely, yeah. Lemon. That that recipe that you mentioned is a, a chicken paillard, so it's a, a chicken breast that you oh, flatten, yeah. and then it's topped with some spring peas and some pea shoots. But purslane would be a great addition to that recipe. Um, and your cookbook is organized by seasons, correct? Well, sort of loosely by okay. seasons. There's no, there isn't a spring uh, section and a summer section, but it does flow from the very first um, edible goodness of the year to the last. Um, and I sort of now that I've now that I've been immersed in in the garden, I sort of think about the seasons as as sort of micro seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, every week is a little different than the week before or the week after. Um, so you really get early spring and mid-spring and mid-late spring and late spring and early summer, and it sort of flows like that, much more so than summer, uh, fall, winter, spring. What's what's uh, on the menu for this micro-season right now? Uh, well, right now we are swimming in strawberries. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a little bit of asparagus left, mm-hmm. and the lettuces are rocking and rolling uh it's been so wet there's been so much rain it hasn't been too hot uh, but there's been enough heat to get them sort of 
uh, to the point where they're delicious but haven't bolted yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm eating a lot of less and a lot of uh, snap peas, actually. Love those. In fact, I'm, well, I love them too, but I'm sick of them now. <laughs> uh, which is another, that was another sort of realization that I had that, um, you know, we can eat asparagus any time of year that we want to. Um, and, and, and I stopped doing that because, because when I eat asparagus now, it's because there's so much asparagus to be eaten that that's mm-hmm. all I eat. And I look forward to that moment. And then by the, by the time the asparagus is done, I am sick of asparagus. Yeah, you don't want to see it again. For, uh, for another year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is, you know, that's how things used to be. And, yeah. and it really makes asparagus special for the first couple weeks. And then you're ready to move on. <laughs> Um, going back to the cookbook, because I've always been wondering this—not always, but lately—it um, seems like um, it seems like so many, like almost every cookbook these days, are organized by seasons, or a lot of them. Is that a somewhat new trend or new phenomenon? Because I don't remember any of my vintage cookbooks being being organized as that's such. A, that's a good point. You know, I'm trying to think about the old cookbooks that I have on my shelves, and they're not. I mean, maybe there are some exceptions, but they're not seasonally organized. Mm-hmm. Um, they're much more tome-like. Yeah, you know, so there might be a meats chapter or a, a chicken chapter or a soups chapter. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's, that's an interesting point. I wonder if, that's, if that is, I mean, certainly it's a trend that we moved into. Um, I think it's, it speaks to the fact that we're very uh, over, over aware of seasonality now because we don't need to eat within the season. Um, I think that that's the sort of thing that you could take for granted a hundred years ago. Um, you had to, I mean, what, what do you mean you would organize uh-huh. things seasonally? I mean, there's only one time of year where you eat tomatoes, uh-huh. you know, and now we, now we have to make that conscious distinction. Right. So maybe that's why. Yeah. By seeing you, we're over aware of the seasonality now, um, in despite the fact that you can get everything in a grocery store, do you think that's a sort of a, a newer phenomenon? That's something that is. Um, I do, off? I do, and 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 I think you can probably relate it to to the the trend in television. Um, we, you know, it used to be that that we had twelve channels, and now we have thousands of channels. So we are hyper aware of the shows that are good, the mm-hmm. shows that are top notch. Um, the ones that are doing a really excellent job. You know, actors want to be on TV now, much more so than movies, or maybe much more than they used to want to be on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I think the, the fact that we have so much a selection um, helps us focus on what's important and what's good. And, you know, in this case, when to eat what's good. Absolutely. Um, so we're just going to cut over to a quick little musical interlude that I, Ian picked out. And uh, I want to talk more about this uh, everything you eat for, everything you make for meals every day. So right. we'll be right back. Just tear it up, just tear it up, just tear it up. 
I need a new computer. I guess I'm going to have to go to the Apple Store. What? Don't go to the Apple Store. Go to TechServe. What's TechServe? I thought Apple Store was the only choice. No, you're crazy. TechServe is so much better than the Apple Store. They're New York's original and still the best Apple computer, iPod, and iPhone store and repair shop. Plus, the store is really cool. You gotta go check it out. They're located at 119 West 23rd Street. Well, that settles it. I'm, I'm headed to TechServe. TechServe is a proud sponsor of HeritageRadioNetwork.org. For more information, visit TechServe.com. That's T-E-K-S-E-R-V-E.com. All right, we're listening to Let's Eat In, and we're back with Ian Knauer, the author of The Farm, Rustic Recipes for a Year of Incredible Food. And uh, you mentioned you're also working on a television uh, series coming up for the History Channel. Or? Yes, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, in fact, we start... We start filming for that this week. Um, and so the idea is that it's a series of cooking demos, three to four minute cooking demos. And each one focuses on a really f- uh, an American favorite. Um, so, for example, you know, one might be ice cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talk about the, the history of that food and how it was introduced to the American palate and what we've done with it since. Cool. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I would love to see that. Um, how did you get into cooking? Were you always just around the kitchen? Um, Yes, um, my my mother's a really excellent cook. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was when I was a kid, we ate a macrobiotic diet, um, which uh, I don't I don't care for anymore. Oh, really? So <laughs> yeah. so your parents were like hippies, or yeah, or, they, they yeah. weren't exactly hippies, but they they had they definitely had strong feelings about food and what you should put in your body. Okay, um, and. And now when I eat that sort of food, I don't necessarily like it so much. Um, but I do think that it, it gave me a, a foundation and understanding of how important food is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I always loved to cook. When I was in elementary school, I would take cookbooks out of the library and, and try to cook, um, like, for instance, a Chinese dinner for my family. They, it was often a disaster. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I've always loved being in the kitchen. I've always loved feeding people, too. I, I get a lot of satisfaction from that. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say then is the ultimate date meal to feed somebody with? Oh, um, let's see. Um, well, first of all, I think it, it depends on what they like. Yeah. Um, for instance, if they're you know a vegetarian, then I would not serve them cider braised bacon, <laughs> you know, which is one of my favorite recipes. Cider braised bacon. That yeah, sounds really good. It is really good. You take a big piece of slab bacon and you cover it in apple cider and some bourbon and oh. braise it for about four hours. Oh, nice. It's pretty killer. Huh. Um, and that might, you know, that might get you in the sack depending on how much your <laughs> date likes bacon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the most important thing when it comes to cooking for someone else is to really uh, pay attention to the details of, of what they like and what they're like as a person. Because you're giving them, you're giving them a piece of you, you know, mm-hmm. and you're you're really sort of putting yourself, you know, on the plate, so to speak, <laughs> uh, for them to to see how much you're paying attention. Um, so pay attention, right? And then it's easy. And otherwise, cider braised bacon. Right. <laughs> if all else fails, cider braised bacon. <laughs> that sounds like a really. That sounds like. Is there a recipe for that in this book? There is. Yeah. Oh, um, it's uh, it's in the back, and it's it's on a little crostini with some fried green tomato. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's a winner, yeah. So these are all your original recipes that you've that you came up with um, at the farm. Correct? Most of them are yeah. um, probably eighty five percent are are my original recipes. The ones that are not mine are my grandmother's, mm-hmm. um, and she was a great cook. She had seven kids. Um, they all worked this farm, uh, including my father, 
And so, and her job was, was to raise the family, to feed mm-hmm. the family uh, from the garden, from my, my grandfather's garden and the, and the, the fruit trees. Um, and sh- sh- her recipes, particularly her desserts, are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them I would run through from little index cards that she had handwritten. And in some cases I would lower the sugar because I think, um, well, certainly my sweet tooth is not nearly as sweet as it as my grandmother's um uh, and i think in general um our taste for sugar has has lessened a little bit since the 60s Mm -hmm. um but a a lot of her desserts are in this book and they are they're really fun and they're fresh um and they're they're easy and you must have had so many good uh ingredients to play around with for this book um just just seeing that chicken paillard covered with i don't know how many different types of herbs are on that thing (laughs) and you know i have this problem because um when i was uh doing a a garden myself um i would have all these things in in one day's harvest and i wanted to somehow use all of them and then of course you know that's never a great idea because usually when i shop and i go to the farmer's market i'll pick out one two or three things Mm -hmm. and that i have a meal in mind but i i would have like a, a small handful of everything and then try to make like a crazy everything salad or something. <laughs> right. Just not that good. Right. And that's a mistake <laughs> that I've made too. And it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's sort of a rookie, rookie mistake in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, younger cooks tend to just overdo it ingredient wise mm-hmm. and things get muddied yeah. a little bit. Uh, and we're all guilty of that. Um, and it's, it's much smarter to, instead of thinking of everything in one on one dish, think of um, different elements on different dishes. So do three side dishes yeah. um, that each one incorporates one or two or three really intriguing flavors instead of throwing it all together on one dish. Yeah, that's a good idea. But it, it's so much easier just to do one dish. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> now I have to use my head. Come on. Um, so what, what is, um, what's, a, what's a big lesson about food, like growing the food yourself and cooking from that as opposed to um, buying food, like did it did it change the way you? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It um it and this is sort of tied into what we just mentioned mm-hmm. about the everything salad. Mm-hmm. Um, it it made me uh, simplify my cooking. Yeah. Uh, and and the reason is because uh, you're dealing with let's say a tomato that you have nurtured from seed, yeah. and you watched it. Grow from you know from a tiny little sprouted plant to a flowering plant to one that has a green tomato on it to one that you protect from um, the groundhogs and bugs and everything else that wants to eat tomatoes because tomatoes are delicious and and finally you pick this perfect tomato and the worst thing to do is to you know uh, layer six thousand flavors on top of it right you know you want to you want to find the flavors that are going to let it shine. Um, and usually that means as few as possible additions. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good point. And what do you do? Did you find yourself preserving or canning a lot of oh, the yeah. drying um, stuff? Because that's, herbs? you know, this is, <laughs> it's a, I say it's a problem. It's not really a problem when you end up with a bushel of tomatoes. Right. <laughs> and if you don't eat them, they're going to go bad. Um, so, you know, I can tomatoes. I make my own ketchup. Oh, um, wow. And... and and that sort of applies to everything. I, I make a lot of different kinds of pickles and relishes that I can. Um, I love pickled beets, one of my favorite foods. Mm. Um, and then and to sort of extend on that idea, that preserving idea, I also make hard cider 
uh, we have some some old apple trees on the farm. Oh, cool! And we press fresh cider, and then you know, but if you if you have ten gallons of fresh cider, you can't get through it all. Uh-huh. So I started letting it ferment, and uh, it ferments over winter, and then I bottle it in the spring. Did you do that intentionally, or you just it just fermented? I did. Out? I did it intentionally. <laughs> okay. I did do it intentionally. That's true. <laughs> I love walking by like a um, an apple tree with all the smushed apples on the ground. And it smells like beer. Yeah, that's, that's I mean great. they they start to rot almost immediately. And apples like like grapes, they have a bloom on them. There's a natural yeast on their skin. A um, bloom on them. Yeah. If you if you if you get if you buy an apple from like the farmer's market, one that that hasn't been sprayed or treated with anything and mm-hmm. isn't waxed, there's sort of a like um, a film on the outside. And that's called a bloom. Um, oh. That's the reason that you that you see old cartoons. They, they they blow on the apple and then they rub it on their shirt oh. just to get the bloom off. Oh, I see. I see what you mean. The little kind of like uh, grainy, dusty. Yeah, something? yeah, right. It yeah. looks it looks like sort of like a dust. It's, yeah. it's actually a natural yeast. It's mold, huh. uh, and it grows there. Uh, and grapes have the same uh, same sort of thing, right. which is why you can make just sourdough like bread things. from grape skins, um, and. And wine. And wine. <laughs> and wine, right. <laughs> Sorry, um, and bread. so when I when I make my hard cider, I don't add yeast to it. I just oh, let the, okay. that natural yeast do its thing. So every year it's it's quite different. Um, some years it's better than others. Uh, but, I, you know, I drink it anyway. Fascinating. And you share a lot of these insights on your blog now, too. The, the country. Yes. Uh, big country. Big, big city country boy. Big city country boy. Yeah. And you're, okay, so you're a long time food writer for magazines you still write for a lot of them bon appetit men's journal you have a story coming out in homes and Gar- better homes and gardens better homes and yeah, gardens in, in you August. mentioned and what is it like blogging now do you, do you did you have a was it were you against it were you, no 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 okay. I, I think i think blogging in general is a really great medium um okay. you know it it allows people to share their thoughts it allows people to to write you know, it's it's a it's a platform where you can practice writing, and certainly I practice my writing uh, on on the blog. And well, that's a good way to think um, of it. it because you know, writing like like any other uh, craft or art form it requires practice. You mm-hmm. know, most people, myself included, that didn't just wake up one day uh, as a good writer. Right. Um, it's like you know, it, it's like playing a musical instrument. You need to practice it. Um, mm-hmm. So so I use my blog as, as sort of a an experimental platform to have a little fun mm-hmm. with writing um, and see what works and see what doesn't work. Absolutely. And and I, I just find it fascinating, I guess, coming from someone who started out blogging and then um, seeing so many people start blogging who, who were already, you know, way like, you know, the position way above blogging to us, you know, <laughs> right. so it's like, wait a minute. Hey, like, right? No, yeah, it's cool though. So, it's all so you're 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 right. You know, you you are you were first a blogger, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and and your blog really took off and it turned into a book. And and so now you sort of have this reverse trend where every company has a blog. You know, yes, and I it know. Just, it, it doesn't work somehow because it's inauthentic. And I think I think you know, for for my blog, I try to keep it real. Right so to speak cool um, I, I really yeah and I think everybody should try to do that you know it's, it is an area where you can have a lot of fun mm-hmm. and where it, it's not necessarily a great platform to push sales <laughs> or brands or yeah. that sort of thing um, so th- that's how that's how I see you know the way that I blog nice and are you working on any other uh, 
cookbooks too or books of any sort well uh we'll find out soon okay i have a i have a proposal in to the to my editor and okay. she is mulling it over so fingers crossed that i'll um i'll be able to write another one another cookbook right another cookbook okay. right i had a lot Wonderful. of fun with this one and i i hope to keep doing that and it looks great and i can't wait to oh these are the app, apple cider yeah in go. fact the the recipe for hard cider is in there oh, um, and, co- and there's okay. a list of all the equipment that you can pick up at a homebrew store or even Home Depot or something like that. All right. What is something you're going to make for dinner really soon for the spring? Uh, I've got a lot stuff. of arugula coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a recipe in the book for uh, what I call a BLT pizza. Oh, I um, just saw that. Yeah, and so so instead of a tomato sauce, there's a cheese sauce. So it's basically cheddar and sour cream that and oh, and, and some bacon um, that you whiz together in the food processor, and then you spread that on your pizza crust. And then when that comes out of the oven, all that cheese is sort of melted into the crust, and you toss a was essentially a basic arugula salad with some cherry tomatoes on top. So you have your your. Uh, arugula for the lettuce and the tomatoes are the tomatoes and then the bacon is in the in the cheese mixture very versatile for arugula yeah um, I think that sounds awesome it, it is it's a really fun it's a really fun recipe you know it doesn't have to just be a salad it could be a salad pizza and what are oh lamb's quarters what is what is a good because I, I see lamb's quarters at the green market you know sometimes just like foraged from the farm's woods right and I'm always not sure what to do with. I always things. I always think of lamb's quarters as sort of sort of like wild spinach. It has a really earthy flavor, like mm-hmm. spinach has, and it behaves in a, a very similar way. Um, you want to take the, the stem off because okay. that's quite tough. But yeah. uh, once you have the leaves separate, you can saute them with a little olive oil and some garlic, like you would baby spinach. Um, you, I mean, they make a great salad. They make a great eggs Florentine. Um, and so you know, any any application of spinach that you that you love, you know, just substitute the lamb's quarters. Hmm. I had this uh, harebrained idea to make a lamb's quarters salsa verde or something to serve with a lamb quarter. <laughs> That's not <laughs> harebrained. That's not harebrained at all. That's fun. <laughs> all right. I'll let you know how that goes. Oh, yeah, please do. It sounds delicious. <laughs> well, I guess that's about all the time we got today. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Ian. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks it's for really having me. It's really fun. Kathy. And do check out iannower.com, also Big City Country Boy. We'll see you next week on Let's Eat In. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.